There are evidence-based interventions for all different types of mental health issues, and they're all different. And yet for some reason, we don't do that. We don't treat it that way. So think about like an oncologist who would treat every cancer with the same chemotherapy. You know, we don't, we would never do that, but yet in mental health, we treat every type of symptom that someone comes in with, that therapist will treat everything the same. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Isles, President and CEO of AHIP. And I'm your co-host, Laura Evans. Welcome to The Next Big Thing in Health, where we explore the big ideas that make healthcare work better for the American people. Today, our guest is Marjorie Morrison, co-founder and chief executive officer of PsychHub, the world's most comprehensive multimedia platform for mental health education. In her role, Marjorie helps provide engaging evidence-based content on mental health that is easily accessible to everyone. Marjorie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. So thanks. Thanks again. Why don't we go ahead and just jump on in and maybe you could just start and share with our listeners a bit about how you got into the mental health space. Well, um, sometimes I look at my life and sometimes people call me an entrepreneur and I'm like, no, I'm actually like a mental health provider. <laughs> you know, so that's a, it's a kind of a funny journey, if you will. But I think my dad was a psychiatrist. So I always kind of was in that realm. Um, I first actually went and got my master's in organizational psychology and uh, really thought I'm not going to be a mental health provider. I don't know why, because everyone always told me I was going to be. And then I ended up just um, going back and getting a degree in clinical psychology, was in private practice for a little while. Um, I ended up going to the Marine Corps and doing some work there, uh, just again, unexpectedly. And it was kind of interesting. It was like 2008 or nine. So lots of people, uh, I was at Marine Corps recruit depot. I knew nothing about the military. Lots of people that were lots of drill instructors were coming in, having had multiple deployments and they had us sitting in the counseling center. Nobody was coming in, right? Mental health is this crazy space where we have high demand access issues, but sometimes it's bringing it all together. So anyways, I sort of um, dumb luck was sitting there talking to the leadership, like, well, why don't we figure out a way to bring services to the Marines? And they were like, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. We just maybe make it mandatory. Um, And it ended up, we got to write a proactive mandatory counseling program um, and roll it out with the Marines. And that was amazing. And then I got to do it um, at Kim Pendleton with infantry folks. And so I got this great opportunity from there. And then I got a found Psych Armor, which was online education in the military veterans base, which brought me to Psych Hub. So I feel like I don't have that direct path that most people have, or they knew what they wanted to do. And they had that straight arrow and mine was just kind of zigzagged all over. And for the most part, a lot of the times I wake up every day and I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> I just want, I, w- I wish I knew what I was doing. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> learning as I go. Well, we're all learning as we go, right? <laughs> and and it must be though gratifying to you to see how the healthcare, you know, atmosphere is starting to see this realization that healthcare um, should include mental health and uh, it deserves as much attention as physical health, right? Uh, so, what do you think prompted this change, this realization, and is it here to stay? Is this going to be permanent? Yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, it it's really remarkable when we think about the fact that it is separate. I mean, it it 
it really never should have been separate, right? I mean, everybody has mental health. So I think what's so, what's frustrating, especially for us that have been in this space for a long time, it's we, we somehow, and I don't know how it happened, but we turn mental health into mental illness. And so we really look at mental illness as a separate illness or a separate specialty, as you will, mm-hmm. just like cardiology or, you know, orthopedic or, or, you know, you guys know all this stuff better than me at AHIP, but to me, it's like mental health is mental health. We all have it. We all have good days. We all have bad days. We all have, I mean, and all those things are healthy, right? I mean, if you have, if you don't know what it feels like to have, you know, periods where you feel depressed or you can have a day where you feel sad and gloomy, you don't really know what good feels like. So I think so much of our, our, our pivot, if you will, is that mental health is part of our life and, and prevention. And then when I think about, you know, things like in healthcare, I mean, we've seen all the statistics that when someone has poor mental health and they're not doing well, how it affects their physical health, right? Mm-hmm. ER visits, substance use, you know, every, every specialty. So I, I, I am really hopeful that we're moving into a time now where people are starting to integrate it. And what, you know, what brought about some of the changes, like, to be honest, is like some of the great work that, that organizations like AHIP are doing, because just when you think about like you talking about it on your podcast or having me at your conference or having, bringing mental health in the discussion, you're like leading the way in with all of the, you know, healthcare companies and payers and health systems. Right. So I think it's that it's, it's happening at a macro level and then it's happening at a micro level and we have to have all of those touch points. So I think that's why, why it's happening now. And I think, you know, we, we say a lot that we had a mental health crisis pre-COVID. Um, it was brewing. A lot of things were contributing to it, but COVID just kicked it into overdrive. And now it's um, it's a little crazy, but it's also really cool, right? To see people just so openly share their mental health stories. It's everyone has them. So it's just this really, I don't know, this amazing moment in time where people feel comfortable saying things like, you know, I suffer from depression or my mother is a alcoholic and suffers with substance use, or my child is, has an eating disorder, or, you know, we're, we're all human. Yeah. More people are talking about it and sharing their stories and it makes it more. Okay. Well, thank you for those nice comments because we I, at AHIP have really made mental health a, a major priority and, and just know that, you know, once and for all, we need to treat it equally as we do all other healthcare. And I th- do think, and I know we'll get into a little bit more around the impacts of COVID, um, but maybe you could talk first a little bit about one of the focus areas that we know is important to PsychHub, uh, which is helping behavioral health providers and, and leveraging evidence-based interventions. Can you maybe talk about how this helps them provide more precise therapy? Everyone talks about access, right? There's this whole conversation. There's access. There's not enough providers to meet demand. And I think a lot of us feel like access really isn't the problem. It's quality. It's quality treatment that's the issue. And I, we could do five shows on why that's a problem, you know, at, at, but at a very high level as mental health providers, which is a cluster in itself, we have social workers, counselors, psychologists, you know, there's, there's so many different people in the psychiatrist in that bucket of mental health providers, but the vast majority of us are taught theory 
not intervention. And so you learn a certain type of theoretical intervention and there are treatments that work. There are, you know, we, we call them evidence-based interventions. And I always say we call them evidence-based because the, the evidence has been, you know, there is evidence that they are effective and there are evidence-based interventions for all different types of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, insomnia, substance use, eating disorder, and they're all different. And yet for some reason, I mean, I could give you like the, you know, but we don't have time. So I'll just cover it at a high level. We don't do that. We don't treat it that way. So think about like an oncologist who would treat every cancer with the same chemotherapy. You know, we don't, we would never do that, but yet in mental health, we treat every type of symptom that someone comes in with that theory that that therapist will treat everything the same. I did it. And you could do every hour, you could have ADHD, bipolar, schizophrenia, you know, 12 o'clock, uh, complicated grief and, you know, and we're treating everything the same. So I think where my, my co-founder and I, uh, Patrick Kennedy, where we really joined at the hip, um, a few years ago when we just kind of came up with Psych Hub was the notion of, wouldn't it be great if we could upscale behavioral health providers and give them everything that they need so that they can use evidence-based interventions? And by the way, when they do that and they were using them, everybody wins. It's a win-win for everybody. Patients or clients or members come in, they get better care and they get symptom relief faster. The therapist has a lot less burnout that we're learning now, because when you're treating the same type of thing, you really hone your craft and it's a lot less stressful than something coming at you every hour and the payer benefits, because there's a cost savings, not only on the, you know, less visits, but it's the cost saving on the healthcare side. Cause we see that, you know, when, when people are struggling, that there's these costs on the healthcare side. ER visits go up and all of that. So what we did was we had to think very like critically, how do we make this so easy for someone to get upskilled, you know, in a population that has no time. So what we do is we partner with academia and we find who has the best evidence-based content for these different areas. We never pretend that we're experts. And even when it's open source, we still go out and partner with who wrote it so that we really got their blessing on it. We bring it to life. We do um, all kinds of things, animations and games and, um, you know, uh, role plays. We hire actors. But one of the things we do that I love is we do fireside chats because online education can actually be very condescending. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why we don't respond to it well. And we wanted to take it to a peer level. So we have fireside chats or we'll have providers even arguing about like, why did you pick this? And what, you know, so that helps a lot. But then what happens is, unfortunately, no matter how good our courses are, and they're good, our, our course completion rate 65% and industry average is about 12. But even then, every week after you finish something, you lose retention. It's just is the way it is. So what we then do is we take these, we call them key concept videos. They're like two or three minutes. So we take these key concepts. So you don't have to go back and take the whole course over. You could just watch a two, three minute video to refresh you. So we give the provider all things that we do certify them into specialties. So we give them everything that they need, but then we give them everything they need for their patient or their client or their member. And I think for you guys, it's probably more the member, but you know, it's just, it's always a little bit what we call them, but everything from homework so that we engage that client through that process, you know, in between sessions, PDFs, things like that. So we try to make it as like 
I don't know, as simple as possible for that provider, because we really want to move the needle on the quality. I mean, I know that was a long-winded answer and it sounded a little bit about like a psych up commercial, but I just, that's like the key of, of what we're focused on and why. Let's take a break to hear from our sponsor. 27 million seniors and Americans with disabilities depend on Medicare Advantage for affordable, high-quality care. In fact, there are more people on Medicare Advantage than visit the National Mall each year. If they held hands, they would stretch from New York to Los Angeles five times. Seniors prefer Medicare Advantage because it delivers better services, better access to care, and better value than original Medicare. 27 million strong don't cut their care. Paid for by the Coalition for Medicare Choices. Our country, as we all know, is facing an acute shortage right now of, of care providers. So how does that affect the mental health space? And, uh, and, and can you talk about the importance of training non-clinicians non-clin- and, and how to be mental health allies? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ta- try to tackle the first one first, is that like we have a lofty goal and we're not there yet, but our goal is to get enough providers into specialties, certifying them in specialties and really being able to do that in every county, in every zip code. And then we will launch our registry where we could do much more precision matching so that consumers of mental health can get connected to um, providers who are certified into these specialties. Because I mean, just part of the access issue is if you've ever tried to get mental health treatment or you've tried to help a friend, it's so difficult. So we wanna get better at that, but it's a lot of work and we are making a lot of progress. Psychub is in um, over 30 states of Medicaid. We have um, hundreds of thousands of providers and commercial. I mean, we're, we're, we are making big impact. Um, so all, all of that matters. We have a, I, I, I just closing the loop on the first part of the question, we have our scientific advisory board and working on universal quality outcome measures. And I think this is really critical because our scientific advisory board is the chief medical officers of behavioral health of all the national payers. This group can work on quality outcome measures together because one of the other issues when we talk about access and quality is we're not measuring care. Like we don't really know how to measure care and everyone's doing it differently. And so for us, how are we supposed to measure how effective our our training solutions are if we don't even know how to measure what success looks like. So we're working with this group and we're so honored that they come together and work with us and put all of their competitions aside and come together and really work with us on helping us, helping us work on how do we do this better? We do think that's gonna help with access. We think that what's gonna happen is the goal is get people more specialized, get people move through treatment quicker, get better quality care, and that's gonna help with the access. So to pivot to your second question is that not everybody needs to see a licensed mental health provider. And that's what we now know. And there's all kinds of subclinical care that's being proven to be effective right now. And it can be, and it, that's what's really exciting actually about the space for, for me is that, you know, it could be coaches, it could be peers, it could be all of these, these new technologies that do digital CBTs and these digital tools and, you know, self-help apps and all, you know, all of those things can help because what we know is that, you know, there's not one size fits all care. And so some people, some care might be better for them at different stages and at different times in their, in their journey. Some might want to see a coach or a peer. Some might need to see a psychiatrist. So I think that that piece is really important. So 
at Psychab, as since we're just all we are is online, a uh, whole multimedia education on mental health, we have our mental health ally and we are just having the really the most amazing time watching it, it like live in the world and just the impact that it's making in companies where we have companies where we have all employees on it and it give them access to it. And people always say, well, who's using it? I'm like, whoever's hungry for the information. It's fascinating. We literally cannot say these are the people that are getting mental health ally certified, but it's, um, it's, it's a series of modules that can give everybody the skills to offer someone support. So like suicide prevention, safety planning. What do you say to someone that might be suicidal? There are things to say and not say. Substance use, um, diversity. So we talk about diversity all the time, but diversity in mental health and then the unconscious bias mm-hmm. that we don't realize that affects stigma. So we talk about that and burnout and what you do in a crisis. But um, we, I had a call today with one of our, our clients and they said, it, we love... The, our employees say psych hub, it's like Netflix for mental health. <laughs> so I love that because it's like, we just put new content in all the time and podcasts and videos and, you know, articles and things like that. So I think that the, the reason why I bring all of the kind of multimedia aspect to it is that I think one of the things that we've done wrong historically and, and psych hub has kind of done it wrong too, as we're figuring it out is we're used to prescribing education you take this, you take this, you take that. And like, you know, Matt and I were just saying, and we have freshmen, kids that are freshmen in college, they get to pick a major, they get to pick courses. We're not saying to them, go through this track, but with online ed, we're like, take this and then set this. So we're trying to shake it up and say, just take what you're interested in. Like Mm -hmm. if you're interested in substance use, learn about that. You have a family member that's got an eating disorder, learn about that or a friend or whatever. You don't have to know everything. So we're learning as we go, Laura, but I think the most important thing is that we've got to get a better base of mental health literacy. We've got to understand what these evidence-based interventions are, what these, what these issues are, how do we treat them best and how do we support people? That was a really long answer. No, but, (laughs) but enlightening for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, it's just a testament, I think, to be able to bring all of those um, companies and important parts of the federal government together um, to talk about and come up with ways to, to measure these outcomes uh, and know how important it is uh, to be able to, to, to do it and try and do it in a way that's uh, simpler and easier because having multiple different ways of measuring it, uh, you know, isn't going to help us really advance things and and doing it consistently. So what other sort of roles do you think that health insurance providers, you know, can play in terms of improving access to mental health care? I do think there's a a misunderstanding at how much, um, you know, payers want to provide quality, the best kind of care. I think what is, there's a lot of reasons why we're in this spot now. Some of it is as basic as when the tech boom happened, payers didn't invest in new technologies. So feedback loops are very difficult. And then you take things like um, uh, HIPAA makes it more complicated. We don't have like common... EMRs or EHRs in behavioral health. So one of the handicaps, if you will, that the payers have on their side is getting feedback back to them about their providers, right? What are the demographics on them? You know, what do we know about them? I mean, all of the payers have gotten hit recently with phantom networks and all of this. And I, I think part of it is just technology, really, you know, and then and just keeping up with providers and all of that. So I think like that's one of the issues that 
that they have kind of hamper, hampering them. So one of the things that they could do better is really invest in technology to do to do that. I see a lot of health payers partnering. Obviously, they partner with with you know strategic vendors like us. But I do see that, and and you and I know you guys see that too, where they make investments in in partners that can bring solutions, doing pilots and things like that. Um, I think that that helps a lot. But at the end of the day, we got to get providers paid more. I mean, they are so they're paid so low relative to so many other things. And I can play devil's advocate because I'm a provider. But, you know, so you could say we got to pay these providers more because they're not paid well for the amount of work and the amount of school that they go through. The other side of that is a payer could say, well, we aren't going to just pay our providers more. We want to pay more for quality, right? Providers who are using evidence-based practice and measuring their care. And so that's why I think where we sit is kind of a fascinating place is we want our goal. And we say this to the payers all the time. We don't want you to pay us. We want you to pay the providers more. So I think there's a lot more where we could go. Um, but I think you know, comp is meaningful and elevating that will help on the access side. You have some payers like Kaiser who are doing this really cool um, initiative where they're actually taking Kaiser employees and, and covering all of the costs to put them in graduate school to become mental health providers. And um, they have a cohort and it's growing, it's growing very quickly and they're making that investment. They cover everything, the school, the supervision and everything. So they're going internally to try to help with the access. And they say like, we can't fix the access, but if every one of the payers was doing something like that, now it's a little different because Kaiser employs their providers. But I think there are creative things that the payers can do, like partner with groups like ours, like I mentioned on our scientific advisory board, they're helping us. We don't have all the answers, right? I mean, we come to them and we say, we don't know, we need help on how to do this the right way. And I think more companies, to be honest, need to be more transparent and be more honest because they think when you do, people are willing to help out and they, you know, willing to work with you. So I think that's another thing that, you know, people, uh, organizations and also for the payers to be receptive when someone says, you know what, I want to, I think I have this idea and I want to try it or pilot it. So it's a, it's a hard question to answer, but. It is. That, no, that's some great advice though, right? I mean, cause I think we are figuring a lot of things out and we need to try all sorts of different approaches and we need to make the investments in it just because we know how important it is. And, you know, certainly I think COVID has shown that um, mental health has never been more important. And I know that at PsychHub, like you have supported your users in some unique ways. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you've navigated through COVID, again, just given how important mental health has been. Yeah, I mean, we have 700 partners now. Um, I'm, I'm honored that AHIP is a partner. Um, if they weren't, I would say you guys have to become partners, but you can be great partners. You know, and I think that we were about, we're two and a half years old. So we were one year in when COVID happened. We had developed a library of short micro videos. I think at that point we had about 120 or 140 um, on mental health, right? And so what we decided to do right when COVID happened was we were like, we got to put these out for free. We got to get these accessible. And they were, you know, on Vimeo and we were really fairly new, but we were giving them only to, you know, basically paid customers or however. And we put them out on 
on YouTube and we put, which Ahab was a partner on right, right out of the gates, like in March, I'll never forget Patrick Kennedy and I were on back to back to back calls and we created the COVID-19 mental health resource hub. It wasn't too hard in the sense that we brought in all the payers because we were already kind of working with them, but we brought in NAMI and MHA and you guys and the, and the VA joined and, and the DOD and, um, and, and now we've opened up, we have the, all of the, NASADAD, the National Association of Drug and Alcohol Counselors, and the NASHBIT, I get all these acronyms, but we, what we did was we created um, the American Public Health Association, right? A lot of um, associations and some corporations, and we brought them all together and said, let's collect everybody's resources in one place and make a one-stop place for people to come get information. So, so I think that that was a, a way for us, which was like, we have what we, 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 everybody was coming to us and we were like, all we have is videos. So I think that helped creatively as a one sub shop. And that has gone really, really well. Um, we then pivoted our content to YouTube, not knowing anything about, you know, never wanting to be in the consumer market, right? Much more B2B. And uh, it wasn't very long before YouTube reached out and said, you know, we want to develop a, a, a formal relationship with you. And now we are, we're YouTube's partner with mental health and our YouTube channel has just like exploded. So that part has been like another really good opportunity to get in front of other people, I mean, Google and YouTube, you know, the parent company, there's just such a great opportunity there. So I think that Lord, or both of you is like been a, a really good way to get information to people in, in a different, in a different, in a different way. And now through employers, we're reaching a lot of people as well. Well, you certainly started this at the right time at a time that everybody really, really needed you. And um, we all know that the past year and a half has been hard on all of us. I, I know I mentioned to you, my my own family has not been spared by the mental health issues and breakdowns from uh, from uh, the pandemic. If you could give one piece of advice, Marjorie, I'm going to pick your brain here. What have you found to be most helpful in taking care of your own mental health? Oh God, I'm like the worst person because I, I'm like, I, I'm I doubt so, that. I'm always so worried. People are going to look at me and be like, Oh God, you know, you know, those people, it's like, they're all talking, no action. So, I mean, I, I am not the poster child. I, um, I'm divorced and my kids are grown. And so I'm single and I work seven days a week. Right. I mean, I'm mm. like, I feel, you know, and I, uh, not that this is about me, but I also feel like we've got one shot to get this right. Right now, there's a lot of emphasis on mental health and I, I, mm -hmm. I have an obligation to get it right. So I'm going all in. Um, but for me, it's exercise. I mean, I wake up, I'm really compulsive about exercise. I wake up every day and I do it. And I just force my get on the Peloton or I go outside and go for a run or I just close my rings is basically what it is for me is that I got to close my rings every day. And I got lots of people I compete with that hold me accountable. But I think that that helps. I think another thing that, you know, I'm working on is sort of connected to this, but I think one of the issues about mental health is kind of how we feel and, and what we talk to ourselves about, right? I'm really mm. hard on myself. And so I can sometimes have negative self-talk. So I'm really working on being very mindful about the things I kind of say to myself uh, so that I, because, you know, it all kind of 
transfers over time. Mm-hmm. And then I think like another thing, I just have these things I work on, right? I'm like a work in progress. So right now I'm really, really, really working on transparency, transparency as a leader, transparency with our team, you know, transparency as a friend and, you know, in, in all things, because I, I want to role model vulnerability because I don't want to just be talking about it, but what it does is I think it makes me not feel like I have to pretend to be something I'm not. And me, that helps my mental health. So it makes me just feel a little bit calmer because it's a lot. If you feel like you have to put on this persona that you have to be this way, and then you're having to work. Does that make sense? You're having to work hard. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And and this is what I love is, is this kind of conversation that I, because everybody struggles in these ways, Marjorie. I mean, we all have our own things that we're, that we have going on and our own inner struggles that sometimes we don't communicate. So to have, to hear from somebody else about their struggles and what they do, their best practices is a way for all of us to heal together, I think. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. I love the non, you know, (laughs) negative self-talk and, um, and amen for exercise and sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Sleep Sleep is, uh, I struggle with sleep, you know, I fall asleep, no problem, but I wake up and, you know, I always find it amazing how at like three in the morning, what in the day is a small problem is like a monumental like thing that just can like, I can ruminate about like, it's usually something I forgot to do or something I have to do, but sleep is so, so, so critical. And, um, I just, again, I haven't totally cracked that code. So yeah. <laughs> like you said, we're, we're all a work in progress. Um, and you've been so generous with your time today, Marjorie, I just want to, uh, close with one final question that we ask all of our guests here. And that's what do you think the next big thing in healthcare is? Wow. Well, I hope that it is mental health. (laughs) Um, I I think probably more precision medicine, you know, personalized medicine. I think we're like, what we see now is on a patient journey, people take our videos and we create decision trees about, you know, if you look for this and this and this and this, and kind of what I was talking about earlier. I mean, I look at it from mental health lens, but I think we're seeing it all over healthcare, which is getting people the right information that they need and the right treatments that they need that are right for them and not necessarily, you know, um, one size fits all. And, um, you know, I got, I got, I got Patrick, he's all about the wearables, you know, that the smartphone's going to solve everything. And, and he's been at this for years and he's constantly sending me anytime there's an article about it. I am the first person he sends it. I'm telling you, this is where we're going. So, you know, I think that the assist of technology Probably, you know, the use of technology and using that for better healthcare is where we're at. I just hope that we we don't ever rely too much on it, that we don't, you know, go back to human interaction. And, you know, even with telehealth, it's amazing, but there's something about touching someone and being with someone and there with every, you know, yin is a yang. So I just hope that we can get to people who need the help the most. That's why I mentioned our Medicaid work and I just love it. But I think hoping that we can have more equity in healthcare, it's just really, it's tough, especially in mental health. I mean, if you have money and you can pay for private practice, you get better care. And so I hope that it's more, I'm really going more on what I hope I see, what I hope <laughs> we get to see rather than where, where it's going. But I do think that we're all working together on some of these issues. And I think, you know, social determinants of health and things like that can really go a long way. 
Yeah, well, I love that optimism uh, and the hope there. So thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Marjorie. It's been really fantastic and, and super enlightening. Thank you, Marjorie. It's nice to see the emphasis on mental health and uh, your, your words are refreshing. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it's been an honor. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health. If you like what you heard, please follow, leave a review, and tell a friend. You can also sign up for our email list at ahip.org backslash next big thing. Thanks for listening and see you next time.